Good to see all of you. You may be seated. And um, uh, today we um, go through this wonderful section of scripture. And by the way, wasn't uh, the story of last week's message, Pastor Tao Lee, wasn't that just so um, powerful? And so many people have commented about him and uh, what he's doing and been challenged to. Um, yeah, I could give someone something to eat, right? And it uh, resonated with, I think, our church in so many ways. And so always opportunities for you to get involved and to serve, um, to give of yourself in one way or another. And so please uh, yeah, consider some of that. And uh, whether it's the lunch next week um, or hosting or, or going out on Tuesday night um, to the soup kitchen, different things that's happening at uh, Crossway. So we're excited about that. And, you know, we try to continually make opportunities for our church to uh, live out the gospel in that way. And so, yeah, it'll take a little time, uh, a little bit of, uh, of your uh, Pastor John Ortberg, as he um, mentioned this. Um, and at the end of it, uh, he writes his memoir and he starts with a story. And he ta- tells a story about when he was um, growing up as a child on this farm. And down the road from where he lived was another farmer. And this farmer had a particular tree that they would notice, and it was a, an apple tree. And it was a big apple tree, but it was dead, or at least it looked dead. There were no fruit, there were no apples or anything. And one day, this boy went over, and the farmer was doing something kind of different, particular. So he went and watched them, and the farmer had in his hand eight long, rusted-up nails. And he asked the farmer, what are you going to do with that? And he says, well, watch. And he takes four of the nails, and he puts it on the root of this dying tree, and he hammers four nails in to the roots. And then he takes the next four, and he hammers it in to the trunk of the tree. And he asked him, what was the purpose? And he says, well, we'll see. We'll see what it's like. And uh, that was in the late spring, and by fall, this tree that was dead is now filled with big red apples, right? It's now an apple tree. And he asked the farmer, and the farmer, he says, what what do the nails do? What does that do? And the farmer gave him this answer. He says, the nails were the reminder for the tree to do what its job was. And he did this. Um, The nails here... Um, is the pain that is hammered into our lives, I think. We, and this is what uh, he says in his memoir. And it's the, all of us deal with these nails, if we could say, these rusted nails. And it's being pounded into us. And in just our group, if we sat down and went through a list of pain and hurts, this last year, here, future, um, it would be endless. And all of us have gone through so much. And one of the things I do as a pastor is pray and hear these things. And that part of ministry never ends. It is always something that is going on. And, you know, we look at this passage and the first thing we're told. And you remember last couple weeks, uh, we went through chapter 11. um, And it was the story of suffering. It was about all these famous saints that we know and how much they suffered. And it culminated with, um, you know, the, the message on now even the people were being sawn in two and the hardships that the Christians had to go through. And then he tells us in chapter 12, now we were reminded of these saints, let us now look to Jesus Christ. 
Now, you know, we use the term blessed very loosely, right? And especially in social media, hashtag blessed, right? Um, I ate a steak yesterday, hashtag blessed, right? Or I saw a good movie, hashtag really blessed, you know, or whatever it is. Who is the most blessed person that ever lived? It's Lord Jesus Christ. He was the most blessed person. And he says now to consider him. And when we look at verse 2 and verse 3, we see that he endured much. It reminds us now back to the cross in verse 2. You know, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised the shame, the shame of it. He hated it. He despised it. And he conquered it. Um, In verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Others were attacking him. And so he endures all of these things and he tells now the author of Hebrews reminds the church today. Before we even jump into why suffering, how we ought to get through suffering as we will address. He just says, first of all, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. The word consider um, in verse 3, uh, one commentator says it's used in a mathematical sense. It's a word that means to carefully assess. Um, don't just glance at him, but look carefully at his life. Learn his life. Learn the doctrines. Look regularly. And that's the idea. And so how important is it for us to gather together as a church, as we now gather in worship, as we hear the word of God, as we sing about him, as we read about him, how important is that to regularly now consider him who endured so much? To now carefully assess, weigh up carefully who he is. So we first think about him, and then we look to our lives, and we look to the suffering, and really, this is the question many, many people have. And many Christians have this question as well. Why does God allow suffering? Why is my life so difficult? Right? And we, we look at this here, and first of all, we see, um, and I want to just break this down into three parts, but the first part we see is that, the li- that life is hard. Not only is life hard, the Christian life is just as hard. All of us, all of our neighbors, all of our non-Christian friends, counterparts, whatever their beliefs are, we all have the same experience when it comes to hardships and suffering. It's called life. We all go through life and the hardships of it. You know, it's interesting because in verse 3 it tells us, um, the second part, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why does the writer of Hebrews tell us this? There is an assumption that you are living a difficult life, that life is tough. Um, and we don't have to sit and scientifically prove. All of us could now nod if we've lived a little bit, say, yeah, I face some hardships. I face some things my loved ones have gone through. I face some things that I had no control over. I face the pains of people around me, health within me, um, feeling lost from God, whatever it is. And we've all experienced this. And so it is assumed in this passage, and it says now that they may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Growing weary, I think it's the pointing to the outside. Your body is just beat up. It is hard to now lift up your voice just to sing to him. It is hard to get out of bed. It is hard to go and keep moving. Whether we are beat up health-wise or the concerns and the sufferings now affect us physically. It's talking about weary on the outside. And the second part it says is to not grow faint-hearted. Let's talk about the heart. 
And maybe your heart was now strong and you remember the words that uh, you know, Joshua had in Joshua chapter 1 to be bold and courageous and you used to live like that but your heart has grown faint. The fire has dimmed. Now your heart says things like, are you sure you could do this? Is this worth it? You don't deserve this. Why are you going through this? And the heart grows faint. It's interesting, you know, uh, Job, whenever we think about suffering in the Bible, if you uh, no, we think about in the Old Testament, Job. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, he sim- it says simply, man is born to trouble. Man is born to trouble or adversity. You're born to this. The moment we're born, and as life goes, and as you grow up, and today we have some of our youth group guys in here, now you're of age, you're facing some of these troubles. And we all can look back and say, man, what I give to be in preschool all over again, right? The good old days. You were illiterate, but life was good, right? You might pee in your pants, but it's all right. It was acceptable. Uh, you could eat stuff off the ground. It's okay. Um, boy, life was sure was good then. I could fall asleep in the car. Dad or mom would pick me up and take me in. You remember that one moment? I remember that moment when I said, hey, I can't pick you up anymore. Wake up. You have to walk out or we're both going to stumble and fall, right? I mean, those, and we all can look back. Boy, that was good. And the life starts coming upon us and you say, boy, it is so tough. There's a, a Christian blogger, a Christian lady, whose blog has helped me tremendously over the last couple of years. Her name is Vanitha, V-A-N-E-E-T-H-A, Reisner, Vanitha Reisner. And she shares a, little, a lot about her faith. And this is just a little background about her. When she was born, she had contracted uh, polio as an infant. Obviously, it affected her physically. I mean, she would walk with a limp. And uh, she recollects childhood, growing up, to be spent so much in hospitals. And always being stared at, being snickered at, or at least she felt like it. And uh, she remembers how hard it is, but yet at the age of 16, as she comes to faith in Christ, she understands Jesus is her Lord and Savior. And from that moment on, boy, life all of a sudden starts changing for her. She goes off to college after high school. She meets her husband there. They get married and they have two beautiful daughters and life is going so well. And then they now have their third and their third is a son. And a few months after the boy, the the baby is born, a doctor makes a simple, really a stupid mistake, and they lose their son. The son dies. And it is right after the death and the loss of her son, she starts getting this pain back into her body. And she goes back to the doctors, and they tell her the bad news that she has what's called a post-polio syndrome. And they tell her, you will eventually be in a wheelchair. You will lose strength in your limbs eventually. That's what life will be like. And so as she's now dealing with the pain and the loss of her child and the loss of her strength, her husband decides and gets up and leaves her and their two daughters. And so she is left now with nothing other than God. And it is at that point she says this, and I quote what she says. She says, losing my child, my health, and my marriage almost made me lose my mind. It was crushing. After each uh, catastrophic event, I wonder if life 
would ever be good again, if I would ever laugh again, if I would ever adjust to this new normal. Yes, because of Jesus, I do laugh. I laugh a lot. He has carried me through the darkest of days and given me hope in the pouring rain. The one who holds the universe holds me tenderly. He has taught me that joy and gratitude are choices. They are independent of circumstances. My life will never be perfect. When my current storms blow over, I expect new challenges that will take their place, but God's faithfulness will remain constant. It is unchanging. I love this line, the one who holds the universe still holds me tenderly. It is Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he states the obvious. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we work to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our careers, something will eventually ruin it. And it sounds like such a pessimist, but really it is a realist. That life is hard. And sometimes we approach God and we say, boy, if I accept Christ and it is from that moment on, isn't it supposed to be perfect? No, it isn't. That is why the writer of Hebrews reminds the reader over and over, your life is not about health and wealth and prosperity. The gospel is about now looking to the one who died on the cross, trying to become like him, and somehow he lets us go through some of the sufferings. Knowing how much we could take, he lets us go through that. And so we know it is hard. We often, well, let me rephrase that. As when we are young, we don't think of love and discipline as something that go together. As we get older, we realize that there is value, that love is often manifested in discipline. And he reminds us, he reminds the reader, as he goes back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse um, 10 and 11, he quotes that in verse 5 and 6, and he says, For the Lord, verse 6, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For some of us, this seems like a contradiction. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he points now to this idea of now a legitimate sonship that if God the Father really loves you as his son or daughter, he will now allow you to experience this discipline. Only out of love. Um, we learn this through life. When we are three or four, we don't understand. Uh, maybe even when we are you know, in grade school, we don't understand. And as we start to mature, we realize, boy, when mom and dad often would say no more than yes, I guess it's really because they love me. We've all been to that public place, right? Whether it's Disneyland or Target, or, and there's an unruly child. And we've all been there, and the parent does nothing. And you want to go and, you know, like I, I get tempted sometimes, and I, sometimes I stay, say things to my wife. It's like, don't say anything. You know, I said, like, hey, you should, uh, you know, do something, right? And, um, and it seems like the older I get, I can't help myself but to say something. Um, and I try not to. But it is this discipline that God uses, and he, he continues that thought in verse 7. Right? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So he's asking these questions, right? 
these rhetorical questions to make his point. If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are legitimate children and not sons. I think back, I was thinking back about this, and I remember the summer of my fifth grade. And those are the days, summer would seem like it would last for a year, right? And uh, all I would do is get up, and I had my few best friends, Kenny, Andy, Kelly. We would just go ride bikes all day. I had no money. We would just ride bikes, you know? We would just ride and come home when the street lamps literally were coming on. And I remember as fifth grade came around, and my parents started getting kind of serious about my studies. And they would, I remember fifth grade, they gave me an assignment. My mom gave me an assignment. She said, you cannot ride your bike with these boys until you do this. And it's really funny now. Um, but it was obviously her love. She, made, she gave me a dictionary. Yeah, a dictionary. We don't even carry, we don't even have dictionaries anymore, right? Uh, she gave me a dictionary. And she gave me a notebook. And she said, I want you to start copying the dictionary, Right? <laughs> I said, copy the dictionary. I said, the whole point of the dictionary to be there, it's a resource to go. And I was thinking, all this is a resource you go and use. You don't copy it. Copy it every day for an hour, then you can go ride your bike. And they wanted to improve my English or whatever it was, but I was thinking to myself, well, you need to copy the dictionary. You don't, your English is no good. But I feared, and I loved my life too much to say and dare and say something like that. So I copied the dictionary. I didn't get past A. I didn't get past several pages. It was just slow A and, you know, whatever it is. And I would copy it. Then I go to my friend's house and ride the bike. I look back and that's, that's what good parents do. Some of us, you become parents, that's what you do. Um, and then we go to the greatest father of all, our heavenly father in heaven, and all of a sudden, we act like a three-year-old, say, no, oh, I just want to eat candy and stay up all night and watch TV all day. Well, you know, let me do as I want. It is in life that we often have to now understand that the hardships that come doesn't mean that we're not blessed all of a sudden. Because when we look to the blessed, the most blessed one, Jesus Christ, it is in the hardships of why he came. We get a glimpse of that, that he loves us in this way. And thirdly, this idea of our Heavenly Father also lets us endure pain, and our pain always has a purpose. It always has a purpose. Um, it's interesting because if you think about it, the secular perspective of pain is they always just look at it as a simple interruption. Something to get through as quickly as possible. It's like the commercial break. And boy, I want to continue my life, and this is holding me back. You know, the Buddhist might say, boy, this suffering is not real. This world is not real. But we know suffering is real. And those who believe in karma says, well, suffering is for those who deserve it. But we all know, and the psalmist talks about often, that suffering comes and it's unfair. The good people suffer. The bad people often do well. What is this? The rule of karma does not reign. But the Christian understands that the suffering has a purpose. Verse um, 10 in our text, it says this. Speaking of earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For our own good. It's for our good. Boy, haven't we said that? Moms and dads in here, haven't we said that so many times? 
eat that broccoli. I hate broccoli. Eat that broccoli. My wife used to make this cake, and she used to trick our girls, and she would make it with cauliflower, right? She had this recipe. And I didn't like it because I knew what was going inside of it, right? I'm like, no, cauliflower, where's all the good stuff, right? And she, no, and she would make it with this banana cauliflower thing, and they would just eat it, and we'd get a big kick out of it. But they figured it out eventually. Um, it's for our good, it says. In verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's interesting. At the moment, when you are going through it, it is painful. And you are crying out as all of us have, God, can you make this stop? This is just a terrible dream. Can I just wake up from this? And we're going through this in life. And yet, at that moment, it is painful. But what does it say? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Later. It yields some kind of fruit. Righteousness in your life. It helps us grow up in this way. This last uh, word in verse 11, uh, to those who have been trained by it. The word trained by it is an athletic term. It's literally the word gymnazo. We get the word gymnasium. You walk into the gymnasium of suffering, and it is in that place you now grow and you become stronger. And you will not know while you go through it, but later on, as you look back, and all of us have been there, we look back and we say, gosh, I learned so much through that time. I think back on my life, and I think back about all the hardships of my life that I had faced. And I say, boy, those are all things somehow God had used to help me to be who I am today. All of us could say that. You know, one of the things that um, I remember as a, a dad, when my kids were little, there were things I dreaded, and one of the things I dreaded was having to now as a dad do things that's going to hurt them, but they have to do it. So I remember even when they were born, I was always thinking about, oh, man, like, I'm going to have to pull their teeth, you know, and they're not going to like that. I don't like that. I didn't like it when I, I'm going to have to pull their teeth. You know, maybe I have to lie to them about tooth fairy, whatever it is, you know, to make sure that it appeases them. Or riding a bike. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's, I got to teach him how to ride a bike. And uh, I got to teach him to take off those training wheels because if I don't teach him, one day they'll be in college and their friends, they're going to say, let's go out to the beach. And they're going to be all cruising and my daughters will be riding a bike with training wheels and, <laughs> and tassels. And they'll say, oh, dad, you know, why did you hate me so much? And so I remember having to run through and do those things. Um, our Heavenly Father loves us. He loves you more than you love yourself. He thinks about you more than you think about yourself. And he says, it's going to yield some fruit. So suffer well. Don't grow weary on the outside. Don't be faint-hearted. Command your heart with the gospel to now live and be strong. And if your voice doesn't want to speak up, hey, force yourself to sing out, raise your hands, and come to God and say, God, I will be strong because you are there. I will be strong. My heart will be strong because you have a purpose. And Jesus Christ, we look to him.
The symbol of our faith, the cross, demonstrates what it's all about, and it is not about prosperity and comfort and peace and all these things that we think. It, it, it was suffering, and it was through the cross that he accomplished the greatest blessing. And so as you go through this, as we journey through life, whether it's stuff in high school, whether it's because of your high schooler, whatever it is, we go through it together. God is with us. He is now holding the universe and tenderly holding us. We find comfort in that. And I close with this verse. And if I might ask you, maybe just to close your eyes as you hear the words from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. 